Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. We have got a jam-packed show for you guys on tap tonight. A new rule instituted to Thursday Night Football that uh, not only makes no sense, but is quite hypocritical to what the NFL stands for, or at least claims to stand for, in terms of player safety. I'll get to that later in the show. Uh, final four predictions. Again, spoiler, I will not have a uh, show tomorrow, so the, the men's final four is on Saturday. Women's final four is tomorrow. South Carolina, Iowa, my goodness, I cannot wait to watch that tomorrow. But no show tomorrow, so I'll do my final four predictions at the end of today's show. The most unconventional, to say the least, final four that we have seen probably in the history of the tournament. I'll talk about that. Russell Westbrook having his best game in three years since the days of Houston, maybe 36 points against the Memphis Grizzlies. And it was an efficient 36, uh, mind you. I'll talk about that later in the show and why it is actually an indictment on Russell Westbrook, this individual performance. And I'll also talk about sort of further elaborate off of Monday's topic with Kyrie Irving and how the Mavericks continue to nosedive since they made that trade for Kyrie and why he's not a fit for any team that is looking to try and compete for and win a championship. I'll get to that later in today's show. But, you know, I, I got to start in an NBA with all kinds of drama and stars and debates, most notably the MVP debate, which we do every year around this time. It's only right to start today's show with the defending champs, the Golden State Warriors, who, uh, as I told you guys, they would, as the as the season would start to come to a close, would get hot, would look like a title contender, and would ultimately be the threat, the ultimate threat to win the Western Conference. So Golden State beat the Pelicans one uh, one twenty to one hundred nine on Tuesday night, and it wasn't just that they beat New Orleans, who, by the way, themselves are contending to try and get into the postseason for the second year in a row. Yes, there's no Zion Williamson, but didn't we just see this exact same Pelicans team, albeit they also didn't have Jose Alvarado, which was a big loss for them on Tuesday. I'll admit that. 
But didn't the same Pelicans team take a 60-plus win Suns team six games in the first round with Brandon Ingram going crazy against those guys and C.J. McCollum, McCollum, who's having a good year this year? Willie Green, who's been one of the best young coaches in the NBA, by the way, a Steve Kerr uh, disciple, if I might add. Point being, this is a Pelicans team that had won five straight coming into this game. This is a Golden State team that, as I talked about Monday, suffered a pretty disappointing loss. Kind of a heartbreaking loss considering how the game uh, concluded against the Minnesota Timberwolves based on how that impacted playoff seeding. As we have five, six games remaining, depending on what team you are. With Draymond giving the ball away to Kyle Anderson, Carl Anthony Towns shooting that three to win it. You got the pool turnover and Steph fumbles the ball and misses a desperation three to, to, to tie the game. All of these things, not to mention the Warriors' turnovers, the Splash Brothers not having a great night. And it's like, oh, Golden State lost at home, by the way, for the first time in a month. Let's keep that in mind. So, uh, it's just, it's, you know, it's it's going to start one of these stretches for the Warriors where they go, you know, lose three out of the next four games and struggle down the stretch. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in this game against the Pelicans down 20 in the second quarter. Brandon Ingram was knocking down shots. He was on fire the other night. Well, what did Brandon finish with? He, he was automatic from the mid-range. Uh, Brandon Ingram finished with 26 points, not a great uh, shooting percentage, but he did have eight rebounds, seven assists. He played very well. That Trey Murphy kid, if you don't know who Trey Murphy is, pay attention. He's one of the best young shooters in the NBA and is an absolute threat for them, for the Pelicans. And then the guy who people who, I'm just going to go and flat out say it, don't know basketball. Everybody hates this guy. Because they can't quite fathom how somebody who doesn't score a ton of points, matter of fact, has some nights where he shoots four times max, how a guy who does not in any way, even in his athletic prime, why you with his athleticism, a guy who certainly toes the line as it pertains to how he talks to the officials and to the opposition. People cannot fathom how this guy by the name of Draymond Green makes so big of an impact for the Warriors. Let Tuesday night be a perfect example. Golden State is down double digits. Again, as I watch every Warriors game, hole 48, every dribble, all the way through. And they're lackadaisical. They're Steph's not looking all that great. And Clay's missing shots. And they're these terrible turnovers. Just, I mean, Jeff, I'm not Jeff Van Gundy, Stan Van Gundy, who was calling the game with Brian Anderson on TNT, was saying, man, this is unprofessional. Like, this doesn't look like a professional basketball team. This looks like the Washington Generals against the Harlem Globetrotters. Just throwing it all over the place, careless. Steve Kerr's getting mad at everybody. And the game changes. Brandon Ingram is going potentially for a layup to extend the already large New Orleans lead. Draymond bumps him with a hard foul. It's like shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder contact. The refs called a flagrant. Didn't, didn't agree with that. I don't think that's a flagrant foul, shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder, shoulder contact. But that's neither here nor there. And then Draymond and Brandon Ingram go face-to-face, -face and they're jawing back and forth. Both get a technical foul. And Draymond's yelling at the Pelicans bench. Uh, you know, choice language, as you might imagine. He's going at CJ McCollum. And then you have the instant on the other end. Draymond drives. I, I forgot who it was. Uh, for I think it was Herb Jones who took the charge. Totally good calls. It was absolutely a charge 
on Draymond in the paint. He trips Draymond, and Draymond, I think from the camera angle I saw on TNT, basically kicked the guy in the head. Gets the arena going, gets the team going. I mean, you had two, I would not call altercations. We don't see a ton of quote-unquote altercations in the NBA in 2023, but the Pelicans didn't love either play. Not saying I blame them. That's why Draymond's in Golden State. He gets the arena going. Fires up the the you know the, the bench, the team. Again, they, they went into, into halftime down 17, and in a minute half is a nine-point game. That is Golden State in really two ways you can describe them. Two of the most important catalysts that do not get the credit they deserve. Number one, Draymond Green for putting the life back into the team, putting the life back into the building. We know when Chase Center gets going... It's, to me, the most difficult place to play in the NBA in terms of home court. Boston's up there. Sacramento is making a strong case. Shout out to the Kings fans. By the way, Kings just made the playoffs. You know, shout out to Sacramento. But Chase Center, darn near sounds like Oracle back in the old days. Like back in 07 and during the We Believe days. And the second guy who doesn't get the credit he deserves is Steve Kerr. I've said this for so many years on my show. I don't know why people don't get this. Even people who know basketball don't get this. We know Golden State for being, I've called them the greatest third quarter team of all time. But certainly, one, there's, there's no question, they're one of the greatest teams in the history of the league coming at a halftime, especially when trailing. Because either Steph or Clay, or on a good night, both get hot, they're getting stops, they're moving the ball, getting out in transition. Why do you think Golden State is such a great second-half team? Why do you think third quarters are so historically beneficial for them, at least during this dynastic run of the last nine years? It's Steve Kerr. It's the halftime adjustments that other coaches in the NBA don't make. That's why I always say, we, we can talk about the rise of Steph and the rise of Clay. Again, the great Mark Jackson, who deserves a head coaching job in the NBA, I'll, I'll say that until he gets one. He called him the greatest shooting backcourt in the history of the league. Before everybody even knew who people kind of knew who Steph was, nobody knew who Clay was. He called that in advance. But, and I love Mark Jackson, his style of offensive basketball didn't necessarily translate to winning championships. Steve Kerr's does. Again, moving the basketball. Again, Steve really kind of introduced the small ball lineup. Obviously, in the back of the day, it was with Andre Guadala. Uh, you put Harrison Barnes in there. Now it's it, when Andrew Wiggins is healthy, you got Wiggins in there. I mean, Golden State's starting lineup is Steph, who's 6'3, DiVincenzo is 6'2, Clay, who's 6'7, okay, Kaminga, who's about 6'6 or 6'7, and Draymond, who's 6'6. And yet they go on these runs where they get stops. They move the basketball. They get out in transition. Gary Payton's been a huge re-addition to Golden State since he come back. He's, he's, he's made all the impact in the world. And all of a sudden you sit here and say, ah, Golden State's won four of their last five games, including two on the road. When everybody's like, oh, Golden State, that's their bugaboo winning on the road. They got the win over Houston, which, okay, it's Houston. They're trying to lose games. I'll give you that. But then against Dallas, who was without Kyrie, who I'm about to get into later in the show, that's usually a plus for most teams, not just Dallas, but Brooklyn, Boston, Cleveland. Beat Dallas in Dallas with no Kyrie, which is not easy to do. And now they reel off 
two of the last three wins at home, with that loss being not necessarily what the Timberwolves did, but what the Warriors didn't. Steph's playing out of his mind. And again, again, I, I call him the best player in the world, but just a you know, little reminder about the fact he's the best player in the world. Steph Curry, 39-8-8, eight, eight, three steals. I don't know what more, what, how much more needs to be said about that. With all due respect to Giannis, to Kevin Durant, to Joel Embiid, to I think still who's in at least similar, you know, kind of in that discussion, LeBron James, it's Steph's league. It's been Steph's league for about the last year. But all that to circle around and say this, I still maintain, even without Andrew Wiggins, Golden State can absolutely win the Western Conference. And matter of fact, I believe they will win the Western Conference. Now, if you face a Milwaukee in the finals that Wiggins, that could be a problem. Boston in the finals, potentially. Philadelphia. But as topsy-turvy, as unproven as the quote-unquote good teams in the Western Conference are, Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, Phoenix. I mean, I really like Phoenix. Katie's played four games for the Suns all season long with six games to go. By the way, they have... I, I didn't have an initial concerns about their bench like everybody else did. I think I was wrong on that one. Phoenix's bench isn't very good. All the uncertainty in the Western Conference. Why wouldn't you take Golden State? Remember last year. Last point I'll make before I get into the comments. Remember last year, Golden State wins a championship, but in March, they had a losing record. What happened? Again, you've got no, Steph's not playing. Steph got hurt against Boston on a, on a foot injury in about early to mid-March. They didn't have him for the rest of the regular season. What did the Warriors do? They won their last five games going into the postseason, and they never looked back. Jordan Poole's finding his rhythm. I've been frustrated with Jordan Poole all season long. <laughs> the turnovers, playing too out of control, too quick, taking awful shots. That's the Jordan Poole I saw last year. That's the Jordan Poole that got paid this offseason. Clay, this is the best Clay's played since 2016. Look at the numbers. Steph is Steph. And Draymond, you saw his impact. Golden State is not only scary. Golden State is not only playing well. Golden State today is the favorite to win the Western Conference until proven otherwise. Again, as I say, the Warriors under Steve Kerr have never lost a Western Conference playoff series. That's it. The Golden State Warriors with Steve Kerr have never lost a Western Conference playoff series. The Golden State Warriors in the playoffs when Klay Thompson's healthy, since 2015, they minimum get to Game 6 of the NBA Finals. In the case of 2016, Game 7. As uncertain as we are about the other teams of the Western Conference, I simply ask, why wouldn't you be confident in Golden State? Because of a, a, an odd road record? Is it concerning? Sure. But this is a Warriors team that currently holds the NBA record for the most consecutive playoff series one, winning at least one road game in the series. 27. I laugh at people when they say, oh, can Golden State flip the proverbial switch? Have you watched these last five games? Oh, it can be flipped, y'all. Golden State, absolutely today, is the favorite to win the Western Conference. Until proven otherwise. 
Let's see. Uh, Grady Edwards. What's up, Grady? He's in the comments. He has a statement that, quite honestly, I agree with. New Orleans should trade Zion and build their roster around B.I., Brandon Ingram. I was kind of on this, Grady, a year ago. I remember saying on the show, either it was during the first round, or I think it, I, I could have sworn it was during our free agent special that I did on the show. It was in, like, late June. I did it with Barry and with John John. It was a free agent special. It was a two-hour show. And something came up. We got to talk about the Pelicans. And I said, why do you think that is? See, Zion and Ingram. I actually Zion, Zion may have made Zion may have made the the All Star game this year. I can't remember, but All Star games that they were healthy for. Brandon Ingram made the All Star game in 2020. Zion made the All Star game in 2021. Actually started the All Star game, and in 2022, Brandon Ingram played the best basketball of his career. Why do you think it is that they have their greatest successes absent each other? I mean, Brandon Ingram again. I you know watching the other night against Golden State. He was great. He, you know, he, he was knocking down mid-range. He could score in the interior. Like, Brandon Ingram was averaging like 30 points over his last six, seven games. Once again, second year in a row, he looks excellent down the stretch of the season. I'm kind of with you, Grady. Trade Zion now while his stock is high. Because if he gets hurt again next season, man, you're not going to have as many suitors as you will in 2023, potentially. So I agree with you. I, honestly, I do agree with you. And Ryan Flowers, Clutch Sports Talk. What's up, Ryan? He says, <laughs> Zion is mid. He says he has a certain skill, but he is not a generational talent. That second part, generational talent, that is what I thought he was coming out of 2019. And safe to say I was wrong on that one. My bad. My bad. Grady says, I'm not concerned with Phoenix at all. That team is going out in round two. Wow. Okay. Well, as it stands today, Phoenix would face the Clippers the first round. I would take Phoenix in part due to the – I'm about to get into Westbrook in just a second – in part due to the Clippers' health and lack of continuity. Again, Paul George is out, likely the rest of the regular season. Kawhi, we always know it. Kawhi's phenomenal. Man, folks, I'm not sure if that man will have arthritic knees. I mean, I remember since his like second year in the league, people talk about, oh, load management. Folks, Kawhi's been load managing since his second year in the league. He's always had knee problems. So could that come back and bite them? That's what I worry about. Um. And then Westbrook, again, I'll get to in a second. We know his playoff history, which is underwhelming, to say the least. So I'd take Phoenix. But if Phoenix faces, who would they face the next round? Denver? Whew. <laughs> That's tough. I don't know. I don't know. Phoenix has the best player in the series. Phoenix has the championship experience. We talk about Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker. They did you know, help lead the Suns to a finals two years ago. And DeAndre Ayton, for that matter, although I don't really trust Ayton in the long run. But they have no bench. I don't know how the heck they stop Jokic. And by the way, you've seen Jamal Murray in the playoffs. He's really good in the postseason. So I could see that coming to fruition, Grady. Honestly, I could. I'm going to have to see how these next six games play out. If KD's healthy, if they finally start to build a little bit of a rhythm as a group, if Monty Williams finds the rotation that works for him, with as limited as the bench is, we may have a different conversation, but uh, it's it's um, that's it kind of circles back to my initial point, folks. <laughs> as uncertain as the West is, why wouldn't you take Golden State? It's the weakest the Western Conference has been in since I can remember watching basketball. Why wouldn't you take the champs? I'm just saying. 
Sports PSP, what's up, Parnell? Here at the grid, by the way, Commander's Demand. He says Zion needs to be at 250 for the rest of his career. I don't know if he can maintain that. That's the only thing, Parnell. It's not it's not a matter of whether or not his body can take that. It's 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 a matter of whether he's got the work ethic work ethic to stay in shape. I mean, I, I've joked about it in the past, but I, I I think there's you know they say there's truth in jokes. New Orleans had to be the worst city in America for Zion Williamson to enter into. Listen, trust me, as a Southerner, Southern food's different. New Orleans food? Zion had a, listen, which, I mean, Zion wanted to go to New York. New York's got its its share of incredible food as well. But, man, I think that's that's the concern. And I, I'm with you, Parnell, in theory, but I don't I don't think that's really in Zion. It's, it'll be weird. Oh, Ryan Flowers, we got a hot take in here. Lakers, Phoenix, Western Conference Finals. Well, it's possible. Uh, the Lakers sit in the eighth seed right now. It's season ended today. They play the Timberwolves. I would take the Lakers. Matter of fact, the Lakers actually play the Timberwolves tomorrow night in uh, Minneapolis. That's going to be a huge game for playoff seeding. Yeah, looking forward to watching that. But let's say Lakers beat Timberwolves. They face Memphis in round one. I'd absolutely give the Lakers a shot, although I'd root for Memphis just so that Golden State could be the team to knock Memphis out in the second round after the Warriors take care of the Kings. But it's possible. It's possible. Oh, see, 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 Grady. Grady knows me well enough. Grady knows me well enough. He knows how to how to get my blood boiling. He says, "You're gonna kill me, Bryson." I don't intend to, but I, th- I think the I think the Lakers have just as good of a shot as the Warriors do at winning the West. I think saying the Lakers got as good of a shot as the Warriors do is pushing it big time, especially for a team that is yet to be over five hundred in a calendar year. However, I said on Monday's show, even after the Lakers lost to the Bulls in LeBron's return. In a topsy-turvy Western Conference with a lot of uncertainty. Wouldn't you trust LeBron James? LeBron James, as that kid said. Wouldn't you trust the incredible moves that Rob Palenka made at the trade deadline? Bringing guys like Vanderbilt, who's been a seamless fit in L.A. Rui Hachimura, who's played well. I'm telling you... (laughs) They're playing very good basketball right now. AD looked great last night. AD's always a coin flip. It's an every other game type of deal with Anthony Davis. But I know what I'm getting from LeBron in the playoffs and the role play. D'Angelo Russell's been a great fit since they added him from the Timberwolves. They don't have as good of a shot to win the West as the Warriors, I don't believe, Grady. But they're a contender. Listen, I did my pretenders and contenders coming out of the All-Star break. And I said the only three contenders in my view out West was Phoenix, Denver, Golden State. Add the Lakers to that discussion. I I was wrong. I I put the Lakers, the pretenders group, take them out, put them in contenders. I think they're absolutely legit, 100%. And Grady says, I really like this LA squad. This Western Conference is kind of pathetic. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's why you trust Steph Curry, you trust LeBron James, and that's why I'm still, I still really like Phoenix because Brian Windhorse, I love Wendy, he was talking about it on Get Up this morning at ESPN. He was saying, with as weird as the West is, 
He said, how do you think Steph, Kevin, and LeBron are all looking at the West? Like, that's what we got to go through <laughs> to get to the finals? I'm just, I, I, and I agree. It's, I trust those guys. Parnell says, how do you feel about Ben Simmons now? Well, I was never a Ben Simmons guy to begin with, even at his peak in Philadelphia, even when he was making all-star games. And I believe he should have been defensive player of the year in 2021, certainly over Rudy Gobert, who he actually happened to drop 40 on. And yet Gobert won defensive player of the year. Weird. But it's Simmons is a lot like Zion. Actually, no. Zion's issue is his issues are all in regards to his body. Simmons, it's all about his mind. Has everything. I know Simmons, they ruled him out for the season with the back issues, and, and apparently he's been dealing with this since last year. I remember talking about the show, the reports about back injuries. He's not a guy who's necessarily a grinder in the offseason, doesn't get in the gym every day. I mean, as I always say, Simmons came into the NBA with just about every tool possible. He's a great passer. I mean, he, he was he was the 20, he was drafted in 2016. He was the 2016 version of Magic Johnson coming out of Michigan State in 1979. Not saying Simmons is magic, obviously, but similar players. Big guards who could handle the basketball, great passers, tremendous defensively, good rebounder, can score but really can't shoot. Now, Magic could occasionally knock down you know, a jumper from time to time, but it wasn't a shooter's league back in the 80s. It is now. Simmons no better a shooter today as he was back in 2016 when he came into the NBA. That tells me everything I need to know about his work ethic. And I've said that on my show for probably two years, since the Atlanta series when Philly got knocked out by the Hawks in the second round in 2021. And listen, part part of me has sympathy for the kid because I think it has. I think a lot of it is mental. But the work ethic has always been a concern. I think it's going to continue to be a concern for the rest of his career. That that I mean, that's in in short, Parnell. That's that's kind of how I look at Ben Simmons today, and how I've looked at him for a while now. Grady Zion should uh, should go gain sixty pounds to go sign with the Saints to play guard or tackle or something. Easy transition. Mrs. Benson owns both teams. Well, he stays in the city, stays in New Orleans. Uh, look, I would take Zion as if I were a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers, for example. And by the way, for the record, I'm down to two teams. Who to pick as my you know favorite team going forward? Niners, Steelers. Steelers' biggest weakness in the roster is offensive line. Could use Zion. I'm just saying. <laughs> Who's to say Zion wouldn't be better with some of the guys I got over there? I don't know. It's a suggestion. It's a suggestion, Grady. Ryan, it's a wrap for Simmons. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think it's a wrap on his career in large part due to his contract. There's nobody on earth in their right mind that's going to trade for, for Simmons at this particular junction in time. But I think it's safe to say we've seen the best of him. And I don't like saying that for a guy who's in his seventh year in the NBA and is in his mid-20s. But as I go to Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? What do I have in terms of recent data and evidence to say Simmons is going to rebound? Simmons is going to turn this thing around. He very well could. But common sense, logic, and evidence say otherwise. It's, it, it, it's an odd situation. So, all of that to say, the Warriors are the favorites to win the Western Conference. I'm going to leave you with that.
We're going to stick in the West, though, because I wanted to move on to a team that I was talking about pretenders and contenders. I had them as a... I never bought into this team before the season, but around January, early February, I was like, hey, I kind of like what these guys are doing. And then they make a certain acquisition. I'm like, okay, I'm out. And that's the Los Angeles Clippers. So they beat the Memphis Grizzlies last night in a game where defense was optional. They beat the Memphis Grizzlies 141-132. It's significant for a few reasons. Number one, Memphis has been one of the best home teams in the NBA. They only lost, I think, six game, five, six games coming into the, 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 the five games coming into last night, five games at home all season long. They had a 12-game home winning streak. And here comes these Clippers with no Kawhi, no Paul George into the FedEx Forum, and they completely outplay him for the full 48 minutes. And a lot of people, listen, the NBA is unique to all of the other leagues. Major League Baseball, by the way, happy opening day. The NFL, certainly hockey, and definitely college sports. The NBA is unique in that we support individual players, I'd argue, just as much as we support teams. You've got LeBron fans. You've got Kobe fans. You've got Jordan fans. You've got Steph fans. You've got Kevin Durant fans. And you've got Westbrook fans. And, of course, after last night, when Russell Westbrook plays easily the best game he has in years. Let's give you a stat line. Russell Westbrook, 36 points on 13 for 18 from the field, 10 assists, 4 rebounds. But the shocker to me, 5 for 5 on three-pointers. And these weren't like wide-open shots where the other team was daring him to shoot. Like he was knocking them down in some Grizzlies' faces last night. It's the best It's the best I've seen Russ play since he was in Houston. He had some games in Houston where like, wow. Like that, that looks like MVP Russ. We obviously know people say Washington because he averaged a triple-double. Folks, he put up nice numbers in Washington. They were an eight seed and got gentlemen swept in the first round. That meant nothing. Empty numbers, empty stats, didn't result in wins. And we all know last year played in L.A., as I said it would, disastrously. It was playing out again in Los Angeles with the Lakers disastrously, although not as bad as when he was coming off the bench. They trade him to the Jazz. Jazz buy him out. Clippers sign him to a one-year contract. And it's just so interesting to me how one game can swing the pendulum in terms of how we talk about a player. I've said on my show about a numerous of topics, two things can be true. And I don't know if I have said that phrase about any team or player more than I have Russell Westbrook. I want to reiterate how I feel about Russell Westbrook. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Undeniably. There's no question about it. He is also not a winning basketball player. That's not questionable. And it's last night that you kind of see as an indictment on Westbrook. At least I did. Because Russell Westbrook, part of the reason I've said he's not a winning basketball player is because he's not the type of guy that you could just plug into a team, even if he fits, even if the, the fit works in terms of his skill set, in terms of what the team needs, effort, athleticism, the whole bit, what Westbrook brings to the table, it doesn't work. When Russ is at his best, when he's a solo act, when he's got the ball, 
every trip down the floor. For the record, a lot of guys in Russell's position that aren't as good as him at that. When it's just Russ, as we saw his first year without Katie in 2017, man, those stat lines were unbelievable. Man, they were like Wilt stat lines, some of those games. Man, I remember he had a game, uh, his last year in OKC, 20-20-20. 20 points, 20 assists, 20 rebounds, which had never been done since Wilt. When he's a solo act, when there's no expectations on in terms of winning, and when there's not a co-star he's got to share the ball with. Russ is a guy that I've said, if you look at all the great players that he's played with, outside of Paul George, name one star that's played with Russ that had their career best year with him. It's not Kevin Durant. You say, well, Kevin Durant won MVP in 2014. Yeah, how'd that work in the playoffs? Lost in six games to the Spurs and lost game six at home with Russ and KD both not playing well. KD's best year, to me, was 2017 because he was otherworldly in the postseason, particularly the finals. You look at Victor Oladipo. We're like, hey, Victor Oladipo? This isn't gonna... And it was a really clunky fit in Oklahoma City. He leaves, goes to Indiana. They get to the playoffs after trading Paul George. Bradley Beal. Best year was not with Russ. LeBron James, obviously not the case. Same with Anthony Davis. James Harden, his best year was the year before they got Russ. And Kawhi and Paul George, again, being reunited with with PG. It's not their best years with Russ. I look at last night as confirmation of what I've said about Russ. He's remarkably talented. He's arguably the most athletic point guard that's ever played the game. But... In terms of fit on a championship contending team, I mean, you if you told me today, okay, this Clippers team's going to the playoffs with the exact roster they had last night. Do we see them winning a playoff series? No. N- nobody has them winning a playoff series. I don't care who they face. If they face Memphis six more times, Memphis probably wins four or f- four out of those five. Four out of the next five games, if this were a seven-game series. It's really an indictment on Russ. I always said, I think Russ is a really good guy. I don't think he is like a guy I'm about to talk about in the next segment, Kyrie. I don't think he's a locker room cancer. I don't think he's a guy where people cannot stand to be around him. Matter of fact, I think it's the opposite. I think people love Russ. That's why you have so many people in the NBA coming to Russ's defense. Like, man, he's a good guy. Like, get off his back. Like, the this guy's got a family, the media coverage. I get that. And to a certain degree, I thought the media coverage last year was ridiculous because how did you not see this coming? And now you're overcorrecting. Now you're overdoing your criticism. When I've been saying it all along, this was never going to work. You can't just plug him into a team that's ready-made and expect them to be better and expect him to essentially give up some of his responsibilities to players that are better than him. When he's the man, you get performances like last night. But it's not going to contribute to winning long-term. But I did kind of get a kick out of it. I was a Russell Westbrook fan last night. Simply, <laughs> uh, simply to see him cook Memphis and cook that guy who wears number 24 for Memphis, poor man's Patrick Beverly, who shoots too, mu- too much, who went two for nine from three. You guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, Lakers, please do me a favor. If you guys draw Memphis in the playoffs, please don't beat them. 
Okay, don't beat Memphis. Man, leave that to Golden State. If there's any team that has a right to knock Memphis out, it's the Warriors. And I, if I would say that even if I weren't a Warriors fan. All right, leave that. If, if you're the Lakers, fall to the eight seed, okay? If you're in the 7-8 game, tank that game, okay? And then win the next playing game at the Crypto.com Arena. Get Denver. Get Denver. Okay. You know, maybe you can get a Golden State Lakers Western Conference Final. Six seed versus eight seed. Doubt that's ever happened before. I need my basketball historians to go look that up. But yeah, it's, it, it, I don't get why. This is Russ's 15 year, 15th year in the NBA. It's who he is. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Why is it that his best years... He's the solo guy with no playoff success. He'll never be the best player on a championship team. I don't think he'll even be a contributor to a championship-level team. He doesn't like giving up his responsibilities. In a, in a, in a sense, he's a, you know he's a little bit of a control freak. By the way, I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but if you're talking about team basketball winning at the highest level, that's not going to work. I mean, really, do we expect Russell Westbrook to shoot 13 for 18 his next game? Or to have shooting nights like that in the postseason. Not ask him to go five for five from three. That's incredible. For a shooter like Russ, who's not exactly known for his three-point stroke, that's that's incredible. But efficiency has never been exactly something that we look at with Russ and be like, okay, that's a strength of his game. Last night was an outlier in terms of the efficiency, but in terms of how he played, how effective he was, that's him. That's Russ's career. When he's with other great players, it never amounts to playoff success. And when he's solo, he puts up very exciting performances. Performances where you say, if he's in town locally, man, you, you got to go to the arena that night. You got to see what Russ is going to do. Or if it's on TV, turn on ESPN or TNT or NBA TV or League Pass. You got to see what Russ is going to do tonight. Two things can be true. Russell Westbrook is the all-time leader in triple doubles. That is a remarkable achievement. People say, oh, he's stat pad, he's stat pad. Okay, how about your best player go out and, and stat pad and triple doubles? I think there's a handful of guys in the history of, game, of the game that could have, if they put their mind to it, led the NBA in history in triple doubles. I think Magic's in there, uh, Jason Kidd's in there, LeBron. Like, really, the guys that are in that top five. Obviously, Oscar. So, credit to Russ for doing that. And credit to Russ for being, I didn't have an issue with him being on that all-time 75 greatest players list. Last year, I didn't have an issue with it. But that does not make him a winning player. I just wish people could separate the two. Let's see. Barry Grant Jr., a known Westbrook, uh, I'm not going to say hater. More like truth teller. But Barry says Russell Northbrook is who he is. Erratic until the end. Well put. Grady, if I was a team that was tanking, I'd sign Russ next season to sell tickets. And for the record, Grady, I don't think it would just end with selling tickets. I mean, if you added Russ, let's look at 
some of the, the 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 downtrodden teams. People have linked him to Charlotte for years. Like, why won't Jordan sign Westbrook? Westbrook's a Jordan brand athlete. Why won't Jordan sign him? If you added Russ to the Magic, or let's say that you do add him to the Hornets, you could get to the play-in tournament. Maybe Charlotte, maybe not, because Lamelo's the guy. Although Lamelo struggled to stay healthy, you could sneak. You could certainly get in the play-in. I think. You could sneak in the playoffs. There's no expectation. There's no dissension. There's no question amongst the other guys in that roster. Okay, he's he's the guy that's got the ball in his hands, making all the decisions. That's not a problem with lesser players, with younger players. But when it when it's with an all-time player like Kevin Durant, to a lesser degree, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, then it becomes an issue. Why do you think Kawhi in Russ's prime? When Russ reportedly wanted to go join him in Los Angeles with the Clippers, he's like, no, 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 I don't want Russ. I mean, there were reports that when the Lakers, I'm sorry, when the Clippers signed Russ, they lost their first five games with him. There was reports that Kawhi, who we know is like a even a even less vocal Tim Duncan in terms of how he carries himself, in terms of his persona was pissed with the organization, was pissed with Russ, and vocalized that, which is very rare for Kawhi Leonard. Two things could be true. He's a Hall of Famer, first ballot, and that's that style of basketball never has and frankly never will win a championship, not just with Russ, but anybody else who try, who tries to imitate it. Grady, Russ should go back to OKC and end his career. That'd be an odd fit, though, Grady. Here's why. OKC's in the up and up. Like, OKC's trending in the in very much the right direction. That's why I said I think Shea Gilgis, to me, if I had an MVP vote, he'd be my fourth-place MVP. I'd put him over Tatum, over Luka. You guys know I love Steph. Steph hasn't played enough games. Over Steph. Everybody not named... Embiid, Giannis, and Jokic. I'd put Shea Gilgis there. Because it's the youngest team in the NBA. He's played incredible. And by the way, for the record, the two Jalen Williams that they have there, the two Jalen Williams, uh, some of the other guys, uh, what's the kid's name? Uh, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting. I think he's I think he's Aussie. Oh my God, I'm blanking on his name. I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna have to look it up. Josh Giddy. Josh Giddy. Yeah, yeah. Good passer, good all-on player. He looks good. Again, I'm skeptical about Chet Holmgren. I, I really, really worry about his stature and his weight. But OK, still, OK, OK still, has, still has a ton of draft picks. They've got a good young coach. Russ isn't coming there to be a role player. Now, if Russ is OK in an Andre Iguodala, Udonis Haslam role, I'd do it. But Russ is an odd fit as a role player, as we saw with the Lakers. And as we saw or have seen with the Clippers, it's been a little bit of a clunky fit. So I don't, if OKC was still really bad, they were tanking, okay, I'd, I'd see where you're coming for that. But OKC is trending upwards. They've, they've taken a significant jump from the last few years to this season, led by Shea Gilgis. So I, I don't, if OKC was bad, I agree with you, but they're not bad. There's a very, very good chance that they'll be in the play-in tournament. And the team that they'll likely knock out, potentially knock out, is the team that I want to talk about next, the Dallas Mavericks. So, 
This is something else. I talked about fans of individual players, just like what I was talking about with, with Russell Westbrook. Kyrie is another guy who has a big, loyal fan base, as a lot of very talented NBA players do. But he also, like Russ, by the way, if you ask me who I wanted to start a franchise with, I'd probably start with Kyrie. I think he's an overall more talented player than Westbrook, although I don't trust either of them. But as I've always said about Kyrie Irving, he also, unless he's with, you know, arguably the great, I think he's the greatest player ever. We, we won't argue that today. Arguably the greatest player of all time in his absolute peak, unless he's with that guy, he's just incredibly talented. That's where it ends. As I keep saying, name the great Kyrie Irving moment post-Game 7 of 2016. Name it. 2017, he had a, a an off-Game 5 of that series, the closeout game against Golden State. Leaves to go to Boston. Doesn't play a single postseason game because he's injured. Celtics make the conference finals without him. 2019, he is awful, beyond awful, against the Bucks in the second round. 2020, he's not there with the Nets because he's injured when they make the playoffs. 2021, he was really good until he got hurt. 2022, he was amazing in game one, terrible games two through four with the Nets getting swept. Name the great Kyrie Irving moment since game seven of 2016. He, like Westbrook, different players, and by the way, very different in the locker room. I've never attacked Russell Westbrook's impact on teammates in terms of how he interacts with them. Never. That's the very thing that makes Kyrie Irving the most toxic player of basketball. The only evidence I need is, well, you know, the three years, I'm sorry, the two year stint in Boston, the three and a half year stint in Brooklyn. And now this half-season stint, which is that's what it's going to be. Kyrie is not staying in Dallas. For the fact of the matter is, I don't think Mark Cuban really wants him to stay long-term in Dallas. I think Mark Cuban's a smart guy. He knows basketball. I think he understands what the mistake he made. The mistake I said that he made a month and a half ago when this trade was completed. Think about this. Dallas, the day that Kyrie Irving made his Mavericks debut, it was, let me make sure I'm getting this right, Kyrie Irving made his debut on February 8th this year. So a month and a half, a little over a month and a half ago. When Kyrie Irving made his Mavericks debut, they were in fourth place in the Western Conference and right on the heels of the Sacramento Kings for the three-seed out West. Today, March 30th, 23 games into the Kyrie Irving experiment in Dallas, they're the 11th seed. In the Western Conference, they would not even make the play-in tournament. I have said this, again, kind of like Russ, for years. Kyrie is the greatest ball handler I've ever seen in my life. I don't care if you put Steph, Allen Iverson, Jay Crossover himself, Jamal Crawford. I don't care who you put in that discussion. I've never seen anybody put the ball in the string like Kyrie. He's one of the most efficient players in the NBA. Had a 50-40-90 season just two years ago. Great three-point shooter. Can get his own shot as well as anybody in the NBA. But he's not a good distributor. He's a terrible defender. He's an awful team fit with a team that's trying to win a championship. Absent the greatest player of all time, LeBron, in Cleveland. 
What is Kyrie Irving's legacy without LeBron James? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Terrible first three years in Cleveland in terms of team success. Boston, this is inarguable, was clearly better without him the two years that he was there. And has been better without him since, for that matter. They made the NBA Finals last year. Brooklyn, offensively, defensively, in terms of record, regardless if KD was playing or not, better without Kyrie, made the playoffs virtually without him in 2020. Now Dallas, who looked every bit like a title contender out West, Luka's playing great basketball as the MVP discussion. It's now Luka Doncic said the other night, not paraphrasing here, don't have the exact quote, but he's losing his love of the game. He's losing his joy for playing basketball. And Luka is somebody, is one of those guys kind of like a Steph Curry who's as joyful as they come when he's got it going. Dallas is 9-14 and with Kyrie since he joined. They fell from the 4 seed to the 11 seed. And here's Kyrie Irving talking after the game, after the, the Mavericks lost to the 76ers. Kyrie Irving. Quote, I think the realistic view is that when I came here, this was going to be a growing process. This was for the long term. And this was something that's bigger than ourselves. And we can't just be a championship team overnight, especially with me coming here. So I think I've wrapped my head around that aspect of it. I'm at peace with it. It doesn't mean that I'm giving up on the season or any of my teammates are, but we know where we realistically are and our destiny is in some other team's hands losing games. So we just got to control what we can control, focus on the next few possessions that we have in these games against some really good teams that won't position themselves for the playoffs. We're fighting for a spot, so I look forward to the challenge. But again, in the last six minutes of the game, I felt like we could have been clear, including myself. There's an interesting quote right in the middle of this that is very interesting. Kyrie this was for the long term, and this was for something that's bigger than ourselves, and we can't just be a championship team overnight, especially with me coming here. Ooh, this is what they call in journalism burying the lead. I'm not talking about the person who wrote this article, by the way. I'm talking about Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving, when the Mavs made the trade, why the heck do you think Dallas made the trade? Because they said, hey, we've got this generational talent in Luka who just led us to the conference finals last year. The Mavs, the Dallas Mavericks, were three wins away from the NBA finals in 2022. They had lofty expectations coming into this year for Luka and as a team, despite losing Jalen Brunson. Jason Kidd had a great first year coaching the Mavs last year. They got off to a little bit of a slow start, but then they started to play better defense. Luka was having another great season, and everything was clicking. Why the heck do you think they brought Kyrie in there? This wasn't a process in terms of, oh, let's see if we can make it work. Folks, Kyrie Irving's a free agent this summer. Mark Cuban knew good and well. Nico Harrison, the general manager, knew good and well. Pretty good chance Kyrie's probably leaving this summer. 
So we're going all in right now with our best player, Luka, and Kyrie being his, his running mate, so to speak. And it's not an overnight process. Kyrie think he's slick. This is where I think Kyrie and Aaron Rodgers are very similar. Forget the anti-vax stuff. Forget that. They're very, very similar guys. Because we talk about Aaron Rodgers with the blame deflecting and the excuses. Kyrie, very similar. He's making sure we all know, hey, guys, not my fault. This is, this is not on me. Okay, this is, this is going to be a long-term thing. Yeah, this is the same guy who said he's staying in Cleveland long-term, who said he'd sign in Boston. Remember the, the famous quote, hey, I'll stay if y'all have me. Proceeds to leave nine months later. And he said last offseason, I'd never leave seven. Talking about Kevin Durant, who wore number seven at the time. I'll never leave seven. Proceeds to leave number seven. Can't trust the work this guy says. And can't trust him on a team that's trying to get to that next level. Yes, blame goes around. On Luka, on Kidd, on the roster, on Mark Cuban and Nico Harrison. But to act like it's just this crazy coincidence that the Mavs are playing awful basketball since they acquired Kyrie Irving. It's intellectually dishonest. Doesn't work. It never works with him trying to contribute to a championship winning team. I don't know how much longer it's going to take for people to recognize this. And I'm not sure how many suitors he's going to have this summer in free agency. The Lakers were a team there. They, they'd be willing to take the risk. Today, did you hear Rob Palenka talking about, hey, we, regardless of what happens this year, we want to run it back. LeBron, AD, and the pieces they gathered. I agree. It clearly works. Why the heck would they dump Kyrie into that mix and mess up mess up this, this recipe that they've got going on here? They've got all the right ingredients. Don't add something that doesn't work. Don't add something that doesn't taste good just because you want to spice it up a little bit. Mavs are learning that the hard way, just like the Celtics did, the Nets did. And it looks like the Lakers are one of the few teams that's like, okay, maybe maybe we should just stay away a little bit. I, I, don't, know how much, I don't know how much longer it's going to take. Across the Pond Sports Network. What's up, y'all? James, by the way, shout out to James and everybody across the pond. He says, Kyrie is a cancer. Kyrie would, uh, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't sign long-term if it came up and slapped him in the head. Or he wouldn't know long-term if it came up and slapped him in the head. Yeah. And John Rivera says, free Luca." Yeah, that's, it, it's a bad fit. Now, listen, some blame goes on Luca too. I think it's, I don't think it's just a coincidence as well with Luca. And I love Luca. I I've had him for the last eight months or so as my third best player in the NBA behind Steph and Giannis. I may have to consider dumping him, dropping him down a little bit, just for the simple fact that you see what Jalen Brunson is doing in New York. We can talk about Julius Randle, who, by the way, knock him went for Julius Randle. You know, prayers for him. He's you know that sprained ankle the other day. He's the best player, but. We sure Jalen Brunson isn't the biggest reason in terms of leadership, in terms of fit, why the Knicks are really good this year. But then again, the Mavs were starting to look like they did last year down the stretch. Remember Dallas last year got off to a slow start. Luka was out of shape. They weren't good defensively. And then New Year's, kind of like the Celtics, they turned it around. They started playing defense. Luka was creating open shots for guys. They were getting stops. They were winning close games. And now you got Kyrie Irving this mix, and it screws up everything, as it always does. Oh, of course. You see, I, 
see, John, John, John just wants to be obnoxious here. John, John, if you guys don't know John Rivera, he's a, he's a nice guy. He's a calm guy, chill, but he, he, he's good at poking the bear. You know, he's, he's subtle. He said, don't forget, let's go Yankees, because up here he put the comments, let's go Yankees. You are, you, I, I knew you are going to do that. Parnell, who's your NBA MVP? Well, today, Parnell, it's Embiid. Uh, I did a segment last week where I did my top five for MVP. From five to one, I went Tatum, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Jokic, Giannis, Embiid. And if people are arguing, I'll, I'll just touch on this briefly before I move on to the Thursday night football segment. There's a debate out there as to whether or not the Embiid sitting out that Monday night game against the Nuggets. I think it was Monday. It was, yeah, it was, it was Monday night. That Monday night game against the Nuggets hurt his MVP case because it was going to be Jokic, Embiid. Some people believe the top two guys for MVP. I think it's number one versus number three because I think Giannis is sandwiched in between them. And by the way, Giannis still has a shot, possibly, with five, six games to go to win MVP. I don't look at that as a knock on Joel Embiid for two reasons. Number one, uh, did you see what Embiid did to Jokic back in January when they played? Yeah, how about, was it 48 and 18 or something? 48 and 17, the crazy stat line against Jokic. And number two, he's sitting back and saying, yeah, it's a big matchup, but two things are in mind. Number one, I've proven myself. <laughs> I'm leading the league in scoring back-to-back years, not just leading the league in scoring. I'm averaging friggin' 33 points a game. How much, how much more do you guys need to see me do? I just kicked this guy's you-know-what in January. I've got a bum calf if I aggravate it. By the way, calves are funny. Kind of like, I mean, calf, your calf, your Achilles, that area is very funny in the body. I'm th- I got two things in mind. Number one, it's about the playoffs. Okay, it doesn't matter what happens in the regular season in terms of accomplishment. It matters what you do in April, May, and potentially June. That's what matters. That's what creates legacies. And he's also looking at it like, yeah, I, I, I could, you know, I could do to Jokic what I did two months ago. But would it be for the good of team success? If I look great, but I re-aggravate my calf, and now I'm gone for a month. Maybe not a month, that's pushing it, but a few weeks and hurt our playoff chances. No, that's not worth it. So I come in and beat. Six games left the regular season. You want to make sure you're going to the playoffs playing good basketball, which Embiid obviously is. That's why he's, in, in, a lot of people's, in a lot of people's minds, number one for MVP right now. And number two, it's about the playoffs. Again, I, I think, I always say, and pe- people get mad at me for this, especially Cleveland fans, although... It's Cleveland. I don't really care. But people get mad at me when I've said on my show, Cleveland beating Golden State in 2016 is one of the worst things that happened to the NBA in its history. And the reason I say that is because everybody looked and saw Golden State, who won 73 games, broke the all-time record. Steph had one of the all-time seasons, strengthened numbers, and it didn't win them anything. So they went and got Kevin Durant to ensure who cares what we do in the regular season? It's about June. And we do not want to feel the same way we did in 2016, in 2017, 18, and potentially 19, which they did feel in 2019. Although they didn't blow through one lead, they were beat up. But other teams looked at that and was like, yeah, this team chased regular season success and look where it got them. It got them the most embarrassing defeat in finals history. It's not about the regular season. It's about the playoffs. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, like I said, kind of like Allen Iverson, you know. You talking about, you talk, we talking playoffs? Or, you know, or no, no, that's, that's, I'm th- that's, uh, is it Jim Mora who said that? I think it was. No, we talking about practice, man. We talking about regular season, man. Really? That's what we're doing? But that said, I do have Embiid. And John John has got Embiid as well. I agree. By the way, like I said, uh, Major League Baseball opening day is today. My Sox fell 10-9 to the Baltimore Orioles. Made a nice little ninth inning rally. Look, listen, my expectations for the Red Sox aren't particularly high. It's kind of a cycle in Boston, or at least it has been for the last two decades, where it's for a year or two, maybe three, you're really good. You are in the running every year to win the World Series. Excuse me. And then there's a gap for a year or two where you're either average or really bad. Again, you think about, I always use this example. 2012, the Red Sox were the worst team in baseball. 2013, they won it all. 2014 and 15, worst team in the division. 2016, 17, they won their division. And in 2018, they were, in my my mind, one of the greatest teams of all time. Won 108 games, beat the 100-win Yankees, the 100-win Astros and then beat the Dodgers in the World Series in five games. Like that's one of the greatest baseball teams of all time. Don't have time to get into that on this show. 2019, average. 2020, awful. 2021, ALCS. 2022, back to average. Back to last in the division. That's kind of what I expect for the Red Sox this year. This feels like a transition year. I'm thinking 80 and 82, a couple of games below 500. you got some good young pieces I like. The, the kid they got from Japan I think is uh, is, is incredible. Bringing Devers back was massive this offseason, but losing Bogarts was a, a kick to the teeth as a Red Sox fan. That really hurt, really hurt him going to San Diego. But next year, 2024, 2025, yeah, Red Sox will absolutely be in the championship mix. As weak as the American League is, Houston's not as good. The Yankees, we can talk about the Yankees, and I think they did get better in terms of what they added to their rotation and what they added to their bullpen. But it's Aaron Judge managing. And more important than that, it's Brian Cashman in the front office who are married to analytics that's going to get them beat in the division series. Heck, it almost got the beat against the kids in Cleveland, the Guardians, and it got them smoked against Houston in the in the ALCS. So I'm thinking out of the American League, the American League's tough because, again, Houston's not as good because they lost Verlander and Altuve's out for a little bit. They'll still win the division, no question about it. See, the last, it's funny, the last two years I picked, the I had the exact same World Series predictions, Astros-Dodgers, because I want so badly a rematch of 2017 because we all know what happened in 2017 in terms of how Houston got in trouble and what I call an illegitimate title. And to their credit, they got a totally legitimate title last year, and they deserve all the credit in the world for it. Houston and the Yankees are everybody's pick. I'm still bullish on Seattle. I really like the Mar- Mariners. The Guardians are going to get better. I don't think the White Sox will be as bad this year as they were last year. (laughs) 
I said the defending champs get back to the World Series. I'm going to close my eyes and pick Houston and get back to the World Series. In the National League is where it's tough because you got a ton of contenders in the National League. Dodgers, Padres, Braves, Mets, Phillies. Uh, I like St. Louis. I don't think they're a contender. Man, that's tough. <laughs> that's really tough. San Diego had the best offseason in the National League, in my view. Dodgers lost some P. They lost Trey Turner. Philly got Trey Turner, but they lost Rhys Hoskins, who was huge in their title uh, in their pennant run last year. Mm. It's a coin flip between two teams in my head. I will go with... I don't want to. I almost don't want to say it because I feel like I'm gonna be wrong. But you know what? Who cares? That, that's what we do on the show. We make predictions. Who cares about being wrong? Got to make. You either got to be like the Yankees, okay? Although not in the playoffs. Be be like regular season Yankees. Swing for the fences, and either you strike out or you're Aaron Judge or the first at bat of the season, and you hit it to dead center over the wall. Astros win the American League. Braves win the National League. Braves win the title again, just like they did in 2021. I'm calling that. March 30th, 2023, opening day. We get a rematch of 2021. Astros, Braves. I, I, the, I see, I thought about Padres. I thought Padres, because they're getting Tatis back. Bogart's had a remarkable year. But there's a little bit of that trust issues where, those trust issues where, Last year, I thought the Dodgers were the overwhelming pick to win the National League, and they didn't win a playoff series. They won 111 games last year and got, in the divisional series since, gentlemen swept 3-1 to one by the Padres with no Tatis, and obviously they did not have Bogarts at the time. It almost feels too obvious. Then again, Atlanta. See, I, I, I'll have a prediction by the end of the show. You know what? I'll have a prediction by the end of today's show. It's I've, I've definitely got Houston coming out of the American League. The National League's tough. I'll, I'll, I'll save that for the end of the show. But moving to the next thing, to, the, to our only NFL topic of the day, is something where the NFL is really getting this wrong. They're really getting this wrong because we hear all the time, and I think Roger Goodell is the second best commissioner in sports to Adam Silver. He's done a remarkable job in terms of the business in the NFL, helping the league grow as much as he has. He's a great job. But this is kind of his, not just his individually, but the league's blind spot. I don't even know if they recognize it, but when it comes to player safety, safety albeit in one of the most violent sports there is, football, they really don't get some of the stuff that they're putting into place. They say they want to promote safety, but they do so in kind of the wrong ways with overdoing roughing the passer with, you know, certain rules they have in terms of where you can hit, how you can hit, how long it takes for you can hit a guy. Now, for the record, I think certain rules should be in place. I think the, the new roughing the pass rule, I had no issue with it in 2018 when it was implemented, but they've really crossed the line in terms of it's the smallest thing is called roughing the passer nowadays. They need to ease off of the gas just a little bit there. It's the business side of football, and we get, listen, the bottom line determines everything, especially we're talking a lot of billionaires in a massive league. 
But the NFL in the owners' meetings voted to where a team could have two Thursday night games. Now, for context, the NFL used to be for the last, I mean, for what, three or four decades, a 16-game season. And a couple years back, they added the 17th game. Money purposes, obviously, trumping everything in that regard. And Richard Sherman has said, you watch, they're going to add it to 18 because they're going to say, ah, it's, it's, you know, it's an uh, uh, automatic game, 17. Now let's, let's bump it to 18. Like, it's going to happen. Like, the NFL throughout its history has historically had an even number of games. So 17 feels weird. They're not bumping it down to 16 because they're going to lose a ton of money that they made the last few years, at least comparative, comparatively speaking. Now they say a team can have two Thursday night games. I think this is absurd. If we're talking about player safety, if we're talking about making sure guys are in a good position to be out there for their team when it matters most, this doesn't do it. Yeah, we know why they did it. It's more revenue, more money for the league, but don't say that you're for player safety if you put in place a rule where potentially twice a season players play two games in a five-day stretch. That's insane. So you're telling me twice they play Sunday and then four days later play Thursday and they do it again potentially the next year? Or you know, a couple of months later, a month later, who knows? Depending on how the schedule plays out. It's like J.J. Watt. I saw J.J. Watt tweeted about it the other day. And he was, you know, he's riding the money. He said, quote, Flexing games from Sunday to Thursday is a terrible idea for two main reasons. Number one, player safety. You can't make this decision. Also, preach that player safety is a priority. Number two, fans. People are spending their hard-earned money to see their team play. Who's paying to change the plans? That's something else that's been proposed. Flexing games from Sunday to Thursday. Because we know last year there were some bad, bad, unwatchable Thursday night games. A couple come to mind. There was a Commanders-Bears game that, I mean, it was like 12-7 to was the final score. It was awful. And then there was that all-timer, the Colts-Broncos game where the Colts won 12-9 to in overtime. Not a single touchdown was scored, and the game went to OT. It was, it made me hate football for three and a half hours. It was horrible. NFL, get the memo. Why do you think the games have been so bad on Thursday for the most part in recent years? Yes, it's in part because four of the teams that I mentioned are either mediocre or bad. But there have been Thursday night games in the past. I can think of uh, one off the top of my head. It was uh, Dallas and Tennessee. Tennessee rested a bunch of their starters because they had nothing to play for that week. It was all about winning the division the following week. And Dallas, short rest, coming off a big emotional win against Philly, neither team looked good. Even the good teams struggle on Thursday night football. I mean, there was a guy, I think it was Neville Gallimore who plays for the Dallas Cowboys. And he said, our bodies, uh, this isn't a direct quote, but he told this to an ESPN guy, I'm forgetting his name, but he said, our bodies don't get to even 90% until Thursday. So we're not even in game shape, game ready to play. I don't get. I mean, listen. I, I think. I think Grady in the comments. I don't want to misquote you, Grady, if you're still here. But 
I know Grady said I've heard others, or maybe it was Barry. Somebody in the comments in the past suggested that we have a Friday night football. I wouldn't have an issue with it. I think ratings will be a little clunky just because, you know, Friday night is obviously high school football. So I think it'd be a little weird. But the NFL is trying to overdo it in terms of, yes, you want the most eyeballs on games as possible. And when you're talking about these standalone Monday night games, Thursday night games, the, the Sunday night football game, late in the season when college football's over, they'll have these Saturday triple headers, standalone games. It's great for ratings. But you can still have plenty standalone games without compromising player safety. And that's exactly what they're doing. I hate this rule. I think, it's a, I think it's a horrible idea for the NFL. And I hope that the schedule makers, quite honestly, I hope they in their own ways kind of boycott this and don't institute this into the schedules for all 32 teams next year. How many guys have gotten hurt on Thursday night games this year in part due to muscle fatigue? In part due to the fact that they're still healing from Sunday's game. Now, keeping Thanksgiving Day, I have no issue with that because, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's not just for traditional purposes. I'm not a big tradition guy. That's why baseball kind of gets on my nerves at times with that. But it's why Adam Silver is one of my favorite commissioners because he, he says, you know, screw tradition. What's best for the league? What's best for the player safety and, and the product of the league and the product on the court? I'm fine with Thursday because it's one day a year. It's one time out of the year where, I mean, the Bills, I think, played three Thursday night games last year. Now, for the record, one of those games was opening night. One game was on Thanksgiving, and then they had another one later that season. I think it was against New England. They played the Patriots, and that was a Thursday night game. That's insane. I don't know if people don't see this from a mile away. This is awful for player, player safety. I don't know why the NFL put this into place. It's hypocritical. It really is. It's bad for the league. And listen, Roger Goodell doesn't make a ton of moves. It's bad for the league. This is one of them. It's bad for the product, bad for player safety, and bad in part because it doesn't make sense. You're going to get plenty of games that are standalone. You're going to get 17 Sunday night football games, 16 or so Monday night games, you're going to have your Thanksgiving Day games. Late in the season, you're going to have your Saturday games. And obviously, playoff games, all of them are standalone. I, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. It really doesn't. Outside of the fact, we know why they did it for the bottom line. But don't say you're for player safety if you're going to put stuff like this into place. Very, very, very confusing by the NFL. we got a comment here. From John Rivera. He says, Jets about to have six primetime games this season. Listen, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt that for a second. I, I, listen, I, I can't wait to watch the Jets this year. We're, we're going to be talking a whole lot of New York Jets on Carving It Up. Heck, I talked a, a, a good amount of Jets on Carving It Up Live last season. Because they were, were a team that's been in the gutter for a long time. They were in the playoff race. Substituting all these quarterbacks in with this great defense. Now you're going to have big name Aaron Rodgers coming into town. We think, still not official, it's been two weeks almost since he said, I intend to play for the Jets, and the deal still hasn't been done. Classic Aaron Rodgers. But, yeah, it's, it's a, <laughs> oh, we'll talk about them. Will they be Super Bowl contenders? Heck no. No. 
Now with an aging, declining quarterback who isn't committed to football and is expensive. For the record, I don't even know if it fits in terms of him and the coach. And it certainly doesn't fit with him and the offensive coordinator because Hackett, we saw how, how that resulted in Denver. Okay, last topic of the day, and then I'll get to briefly my, my World Series prediction. I t I, I'm somebody who is very, 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 uh, how do I say this? I take my predictions seriously. Like when I, and that's, you know, I'm actually about to make predictions for the final four in this next segment. So I, listen, when I'm right, I am the happiest guy in the world. And when I'm wrong, I'm really down on the dumps. But that's, that's part of what's fun about sports. That's what's fun about doing the show is just putting it out there, have full confidence behind your pick. You don't change your pick. I see people all the time. They have their preseason prediction, then the regular season starts, they change it. No, no, no. When my preseason pick, uh, clearly, like last year, I had Broncos Rams in the Super Bowl. Five weeks in, I was out of the Broncos. Seven to eight weeks in, I was out of the Rams. Okay, there goes my prediction. I don't get to make a second one. That's it. My prediction's done. Good luck next season. That's that's my mentality on it. I don't think I think I think there's a a lack of integrity, so to speak, in changing your pick. Then again, what do I know? All I did was pick Tampa Bay and Kansas City in the Super Bowl in 2020. I'll, I'll still still hold tight to that. But we do have a Final Four. I I almost hate to use the distinction the Final Four because uh, it's. If you told me we were getting this going to the tournament, there's no way I would have obviously believed you. I don't think the fans of most of these teams outside of maybe UConn would have believed you. But here we are. Not only do we have zero number one seeds in the Elite Eight, I'm sorry, in the Final Four, we don't even have a top three seed in the Final Four, which has never happened in the history of the tournament. What we do now. We've got a four-seed UConn, two five-seeds, Miami-San Diego State, and a nine-seed, sort of the Cinderella of the tournament, Florida Atlantic. So, without further ado, let's jump into predictions. As we get playing. So, the first game. We've got the Florida Atlantic Owls taking on the San Diego State Aztecs. Did not think I'd be saying that to start a Final Four game. San Diego State is a three-point favorite. It's a neutral site, obviously, in Houston, Texas. So, you know, the home court advantage thing, the automatic three points, that doesn't come into play. It's neutral site. Here's what I'll say about Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic, we understand that they're a nine seed, but two things that have played in their favor, not just in the tournament, but all season long. First of all, they've lost three games the whole season. He said, yeah, but they come out, I think the American Conference, if I'm not mistaken, they come out of a non-Power 5 conference. Like, nobody really takes them seriously. But they also have two other things that make them a legitimate threat to potentially, dare I say, beat San Diego State and then beat the winner of Miami-UConn to win it all. They're a veteran team, and they can shoot the lights out of the ball. They're incredible shooting beyond the arc, as my Tennessee Volunteers uh, saw in the Sweet 16. As many other teams throughout the tournament, as Memphis certainly saw back in the first round. Okay, John L. Davis is their leading scorer. He's their guard. He's, he's kind of a hot and cold guy, more of a volume scorer. But he's a solid distributor, really good defensively. Now, San Diego State has the advantage, I think, when it comes to size and defense. 
But again, when we talk about what wins in the tournament long-term, veteran leadership, coaching, which Florida Atlantic has, and shooting, I'm going to go on a limb. I've got the Owls winning this one. Owls upset the San Diego State Aztecs. They win 72-68 in the Final Four. And the Florida Atlantic Owls will play for the college basketball national title. I don't think it's all that great for the sport, but it's intriguing. It certainly gives us something to talk about. It's a big topic of conversation, and I like San Diego State. I really do. But I just think, again, losing three games all season with the veteran leadership that they have, with the coaching that they have, with the ability to knock it down from beyond the arc, I'm going to trust Florida Atlantic. They get to the national title game to play the winner of two one's well known for its football the Miami Hurricanes and one is certainly known for its basketball although more so on the women's side UConn the UConn Huskies however when we talk about I've heard a lot of folks saying oh this is a this is a final four without a college basketball blue blood um I bear to di- I-, I beg to differ UConn's won just as many national championships since 1999 as North Carolina as Kansas they've won more than Kentucky if they're not a blue blood, then what's a blue blood? That's my question. They've had plenty of guys go to the NBA and have a ton of success. Uh, Ray Allen comes to mind at the top of my head. We all remember, you know, years ago, Kemba Walker had that crazy run. Cardiac Kemba back in, I think it was 2010. UConn is absolutely a very respectable program when it comes to the men's as well as obviously the women's, although they've fallen off to a certain degree in recent years. So UConn in this game is favored minus five and a half. Miami is similar to Florida Atlantic in some ways in that they are very much a hot and cold shooting team. To their credit, part of why they're in the Final Four, they've been excellent shooting the the three-pointer. They've won some of their games fairly comfortably in the tournament leading to this point. They beat Texas by seven, and the final score to me, certainly in the last five minutes, wasn't indicative of how good they were. They controlled that game all the way through, beat Houston, so Miami is an absolute deserving Final Four team. I didn't bite them into them before the tournament. At ESPN, Joe, Joe Lenardi did. That's why Joe Lenardi is employed by ESPN to be their college basketball expert, expert and I'm not. But that said, I think an avalanche is coming the Hurricanes' way. I think a hurricane, so to speak, is coming the Hurricanes' way. Okay? UConn is a team that has kind of been laying in the weeds... We haven't talked about them as much as we have other Big East teams in the past. We talked all about Marquette. I had Marquette getting to the stage. I had them getting to the Final Four and losing to Alabama. But that said, this UConn team's for real. They have won their tournament games comfortably. The fact that they did what they did to Gonzaga, who was absolutely a threat to win the national title, beat them by 28 points. A Mark Few coach team led by Drew Timmy with plenty of NBA prospects. The game was never in doubt. So they come in hot, playing as good a defense as anybody in this tournament. I think this one is a rout. I'm going with the UConn Huskies to get back to the Final Four. They beat the Hurricanes 74-59 to in the Final Four. And yes, indeed, just like I predicted and you predicted and everybody predicted, we will get a national title game featuring the Florida Atlantic Owls and the UConn Huskies. Definitely did not see that coming. But I think that would certainly be an entertaining game. So I've got Florida Atlantic beating San Diego State 
and UConn, smoky Miami. I'm that confident in UConn. Absolutely. I think I, it's part of it maybe because my bias towards a blue blood, which by the way, UConn is winning the national title. Because I think college basketball needs that. I think Miami would be a. It's like okay, Miami's at least a big brand, but it's a little weird. And then San Diego State and definitely Florida Atlantic winning the national title would be like, Ugh, it's a little, a little clunky, a little weird. But listen, what do I know? I, I I pull for I pull for favorites. That's that's kind of my thing. Uh, Parnell asks, who should Carolina draft? Well, I did see a report today that they're down to two guys. C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, who have over, I think, the last year been kind of the favorites to win it all. Uh, it's tough because there's things I like and don't like about both prospects. If you ask who I think they should draft, I would say C.J. Stroud because he's got an NFL-ready body, and I love Bryce Young in terms of his talent, but as I keep saying, Short quarterbacks are struggling right now in the NFL. Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Russell Wilson. Zach Wilson's been a disaster. I don't, I don't think all that's just due to his height. It's due to other factors. But you've got it, it, can your body hold up for forget seventeen games? Can it hold up for fourteen to fifteen games? Because a team can a team can survive if they're good enough with a solid backup. They can go one and one, split the two games that you're out. But if you're Tua and you're consistently unavailable, if you're Kyler and you're consistently unavailable, by the way, Tua is somebody else, smaller athlete who struggled. Stroud has some, and by the way, our guy Ryan Flowers uh, here at the grid did a, he he did a segment, or, yeah, it was, it was a segment, like a film breakdown, which he's been doing of draft prospects. He's doing putting some awesome content out. Please, please go check it out on the grid. But he put a video out, a film breakdown of CJ Stroud. And a lot of the flaws that he was talking about with Stroud, such as maybe uh, doesn't see the field necessarily all that well, that can be corrected. And I think going to a guy like Frank Reich, a former quarterback who's, I mean, the guy in Indianapolis had nothing but quarterback turmoil. He had a different starting quarterback every single year he was in Indianapolis. He had Andrew Luck, then he had Jacoby Brissett, then he had Phillip Rivers, then he had Carson Wentz, then he had Matt Ryan. He needs stability. He needs a number one pick, a talented number one pick to come into the building that he can develop. I think Stroud, I think he fits better in Carolina, certainly in terms of the coaching staff. So if you ask me, Parnell, I would say C.J. Stroud. Like Bryce Young to Houston almost feels inevitable to a certain degree. Uh, Patrick Brown, another teammate of ours, the grid was up, Patrick. He says, sadly, Jerry Jones was all in for the flex change. We as fans should be mad whatsoever when players voice their concerns about player safety. NFL players are the ones putting their bodies on the line, and I, I believe it'll only be horrible moving forward. I wouldn't be surprised if the games become even more cringy. That's a great way to put it, cringy. Maybe that was the word I was looking for. Bad is bad's one way to put it. We've seen bad games, but the bad games happen. Like I said, the, there was a Chicago-Washington game that was like 12-9 to 9 Washington. It was a horrible game. And the Colts beat the Broncos. I think it was week four, week five, rather. 12 to 9 in overtime. It was bad. For those of you who didn't watch the game, count yourself lucky. If you went to bed early that night, God bless you. If you read a book, if you watched your favorite show on Netflix, Hulu, any streaming service, if you watched anything on Amazon other than the Thursday night game, God bless you. 
whatever you did was better for your eyes and your mind than that Broncos-Colts game. And for, for that matter, most of the Thursday night games last season. I'm with you, though, Patrick. It, it, it's, it's bad for the league. It's bad for the league. And it's, bad, it's terrible for the players. Again, don't say you're for player, for player safety if you put stuff like this in place. It makes no sense. Okay. Before I get out of here, I promised that I was going to give my World Series prediction because today is opening day. So I said Houston comes out of the American League. I say they once again meet the Yankees in the ALCS. They beat them because I think the Yankees are better this year than they were last year. I really do. Even I can admit that as a Red Sox fan. Houston wins over the Yankees in six in the ALCS. And I say I said Braves. I said the Atlanta Braves. And then I mentioned the Padres. It's see, I don't want to say the Dodgers again because that that'd be three straight years. I say Astros Dodgers. Watch me pick somebody else and it ends up being Astros Dodgers again. Uh, that that feels uh, that feels like you're you're kind of you know feels redundant, repetitive. <sighs> I can't choose the Mets because the Mets are the Mets. They're going to find a way to screw it up. The Phillies, and I don't like the city of Philadelphia, so it's hard to pick the Phillies, but I could see a rematch of last year's World Series. And the Padres, I don't think the Cardinals are good enough to go on a run. Okay. All right, I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to go all in. The Houston Astros win the American League. The defending champs get back to the World Series. And they will face the team that beat them in 2021, the Atlanta Braves. Braves get back to the World Series out of the National League. I say they knock off. I say they knock off San Diego to get there in the NLCS. I say the Astros once again knock off the Yankees to get there. And you'll get a rematch of 2021. I'm calling this March 30th, opening day 2023. Astros, the defending champs out of the American League. Braves a couple of years ago, the NL champs and the and the uh uh, World Series champs of 2021 getting back to the World Series. We will get a rematch of the 2021 World Series. And not just that, we'll get the last two champions in the World Series. Wonder how many times that's happened in history. But that's what I got. I- I'm confident. I've got I- I've got confidence in my pick. That's what it's gonna be. It's third year of picking the Astros to to get to the World Series, but for the record, I have been right the last two years, okay? So in my defense, it is, it is like I've been wrong. And I'll say, okay, but who wins it? Wait, who wins it? Atlanta. Atlanta beats Houston in the World Series like they did in 2021, but I think it takes them seven games this go-around as opposed to six. Atlanta beats Houston in seven games in the World Series. Book it. There we go. That's going to be fun. By the way, one last thing. Seriously, one last thing before we get out of here. Uh, I, I'm I, I'm scratching my head at the people who are speaking of baseball, people who are who have such a big issue with the pitch clock. Folks, this is one of the best things that's ever happened to Major League Baseball in some time. Not just the fact, forget the fact that it's cut games by about 20 to 25 minutes. Not just that. But the fact that the pace is much better so much better not just that you've got more hits and less strikeouts the things that we love about baseball guys getting on base by the way more steals which we saw in spring training 
I mean, that's isn't that kind of what we lamented about baseball? It's become too analytics-minded with home runs and strikeouts. This helps kind of eliminate that to a certain extent. And people are like, ah, you know, you see him. Like there, I remember there was a Red Sox game in spring training that that ended on a on a uh, pitch clock violation. Folks, it's it's the players are just now getting used to it. They're going to adjust. Just like in any sport, there's a new rule. I mean, years ago, I think it was David Stern introduced a whole new basketball without even telling the players. Took the players a minute to adjust, but they did. Players are going to adjust in Major League Baseball to the pitch clock, and it's one of the best things that's ever happened to Major League Baseball. I think it's great for the sport. In terms of pace, you get more hits, you get less strikeouts, and you get more steals, and frankly, it, it looks better on television. Absolutely, I'm for it. I never got a chance to get my take on that because I was on break on my two-week hiatus when that happened, when they instituted that. But yeah, I think it's I think it's great for the game, hundred percent. All right, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by. No show tomorrow, but I will be back on Monday at six p.m. Eastern, three p.m. Pacific time on Twitter. I accidentally said Facebook again. I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of that habit. We, we as humans we build habits. I'll get out of that one of Sam Facebook because carving up live is no longer on Facebook, but we're still on Twitter. We're still on the Carving Up YouTube channel, and now we are live streaming on the Grids YouTube channel, on the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, by the way, Grid Podcast Network, which you can subscribe to on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. It's a network I'm a part of. All Carving Up content is on there. You've got uh, one of the co-founders, Barry Grant Jr., All Even Podcast. He's got stuff on there. You saw in the comments here, uh, Ryan Flowers, Clutch Sports Talk. He's got some awesome content up right now in regards to the draft, in terms of the, the film breakdown of some of these prospects as we get closer and closer to draft night, which is four weeks from tonight. Very, very excited about that. You've got Parnell from the Commander's Demand podcast. Great new show out there. He's got a new episode coming up very, very soon. Check out his stuff at the Grid. He's got amazing content. Patrick Brown of the Chaotic Sports podcast, as well as the Forum podcast, which is a Lakers show. Be sure to check his stuff out. The Cowboys Cam Fan podcast, a Cowboys show with with, uh, three great dudes in Canada. You got Anth, Adam, Alexander, Alfred Parsar Jr. of the Metropolitan Report, as well as the Rocket Fuel Jets podcast. He's putting out a ton of Metropolitan stuff right now with, with the new season starting. Him be a Mets fan. So, listen, we're, we're rolling. We got great stuff here at the grid, so please go check it out. But like I said, I'll be back on Monday, 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific time on Twitter and on the Grid YouTube channel and the Carving It Up YouTube channel. And by the way, like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. All right. A little bit of a long weekend for me. Like I said, no show Friday. Be back on Monday. But I hope everybody has a great weekend. Please continue to stay safe out there. God bless you all. Oh, oh, by, oh by the way, take care of your physical and mental health. Almost forgot that. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. God bless you all. Peace out. And keep protesting in Nashville. God bless you. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.